What's up, everybody? This is Laura Ellen from Womongols. On this week's show, I have the honor of introducing the Pittsburgh soccer community and most importantly, Riverhounds fans to Rabbi Mark Asher Goodman. I'll let Mark introduce himself in a bit, but I could not be more excited to sit down with him and hear his take on soccer in general and soccer in Pittsburgh. We recorded this show a few days after the anti-Semitic and heinous act of violence against the Pittsburgh Jewish community. I hope you can appreciate the raw emotion and honesty that Mark shares with us. We also talked about soccer and the Riverhounds, so I'm so excited for you to hear the show. Let us know what you think at Womongols or Mongols on Twitter. All right, I don't think I have anything else. So without further ado, let's join the conversation. Mark, welcome to Womongols. Thanks for taking the time to sit down with me. First, I want to acknowledge the horrific act of hate against the Jewish community and express my deepest condolences. Uh, so I'd love to just uh, talk a little bit about that and hear about what your experiences have been over the past couple of days or so. Well, first of all, Laura Ellen, thanks for having me on. Um, she keeps cracking up, folks, because <laughs> she looks at me and she, she says it's going to it's going to crack fair, her up, I mean, which is... this is like a very serious topic, but to be fair, I'm not used to doing these recordings in person, so we're actually sitting in person. I Most know. of these are done virtually, where I cannot look at the person, and, and I can look at something else. And I think for both of us, and for a lot of people in Pittsburgh, and specifically folks in Squirrel Hill, um, a little bit of levity uh, after a tough couple of days is a good thing. Um, my experience has been crazy. The last couple of days have been a giant mix of awful and intense and emotional and new and challenging. I'll be, I'm very raw, so I hope every, all of your listeners will appreciate that and not, but um, I think I burst into tears like five times today, maybe six. I'll tell you one quick story. My roommate in rabbinical school, so I'm a rabbi, I've been a rabbi for 13 years now. My roommate, who we go back 18 years now, was the rabbi at Beth Shalom Synagogue in Squirrel Hill, which is the conservative synagogue. It's about six blocks from Tree of Life um, for nine years. And he knows the entire community. And a couple of years ago, he moved on to Sarasota, um, where he's the rabbi down there in Florida. And uh, I was at an event today, and he flew in today for the first of the funerals. Um, Cecil, uh, his funeral was today, this afternoon. And I hadn't seen Mike, Rabbi Warbo, in like five years. And he saw me and I saw him in the middle of this big crowd. And I walked over and I gave him a big hug. And he literally fell into my arms and sobbed, sobbed for five minutes. And I sobbed along with him. Because for two th- reasons. One is, and we're being very real and very not soccer related, but I hope that's okay. Um, one is that... The emotions of the experience for all of us in Pittsburgh, period. But specifically also to the Jewish community and specifically, specifically to folks in Squirrel Hill, we're all keyed up and it's been very intense and there haven't been a lot of opportunities for release. And secondly, for rabbis, we're expected to kind of carry the load, right? The community needs us to help them through a difficult time. And so we put on a really strong face and we go out and we do our job. But when we're alone with each other, when my old roommate Mike looks at me, like it's a moment where we can both say, 
oh my God, this is way more intense than I can handle. So that's a, I could go on and on and on. This is not what this podcast is for, but that's a glimpse into what the last couple of days have been like. That and like being interviewed by the BBC four times, which is insane because I've only lived in Pittsburgh for two months. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you know, there certainly aren't words and, you know, I'm not part of the Jewish community, you know, and, and we've been part of the greater Pittsburgh community for the past, you know, six and a half years or so. And so certainly, um, you know, as soon as we moved here, it became very clear that, right, like Squirrel Hill is the Jewish epicenter of Western Pennsylvania, right? Um, it's also the only, one of the only communities like it in all of North America. There are very few neighborhoods in any city in America um, that have a very Jewish flavor and where all of the different denominations in Judaism are all in one place. Typically, they, they split up across neighborhoods in, in a city um, so one group of Jews is over here, another group is over there. And the other thing about Squirrel Hill that you Pittsburghers really know, um, and for those of you who don't know Pittsburgh and, and listen to the podcast, um, it's a really interesting neighborhood in that uh, there are million-dollar mansions and little one-bedroom apartment complexes, like sometimes next door to each other. So you get low, middle, and high income all in one neighborhood, which means that Jews of all flavor can kind of live in the same neighborhood and, and be uh, very communal with each other. Um, it's, a, it's a really amazing community, and I'm really blessed to be brought into it. The timing couldn't be worse, obviously, on some level, but not for my own sake, for, for other people's sake. I mean, I'm, I'm walking around and I'm seeing people who are devastated. You know, I was at a coffee shop on Murray this morning, and there were five or six other people who I know, you know, through association, through synagogues that I either belong to or I'm friendly with and they were all dressed in black they were getting their morning cup of coffee before they head to the first of a lot of funerals there are two funerals a day at either Road of Shalom or the JCC or at the mortuary for the Jewish cemetery there are two or three funerals a day for five days in a row and it's overwhelming for me it's over it's it would be overwhelming for any human being there are people that I know in this community who will be going to all of them that's a, that's an unbelievable tragedy. It's it's it doesn't hit home until you see the list of funeral services and how many lives were touched and how many were destroyed. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, you know there isn't a way to overstate you know the tragedy and just kind of just the horrific nature of what happened. Uh, and and I was talking with someone uh, a couple of days ago and. They were saying, you know, the the whole thing about like five degrees from Kevin Bacon or whatever the <laughs> thing is. I don't I don't know who the person, you know, some some guy. Um, We've gone from Jews to bacon in just right, one move. Right. Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, you know, and yeah, and as a vegan, that you know probably wasn't the best move. But but what what we were talking about is that in Pittsburgh, it's one degree of freedom. Yeah. Um, you know, Pittsburgh, and you know, not just Squirrel Hill, but then how Squirrel Hill and how the Jewish community intersects with so many people in the surrounding community it's one degree of freedom for you know the entire community and then to then look at the specific community of you know the different um components of the jewish community it's just like i, I just cannot fathom right. what that must mean right upmc doctors carnegie Researchers, mellon professors yeah. you know social work 
uh, doctoral students, uh, soccer fans, like you know somebody in your community who is Jewish and who is one degree away from this this exactly. tragedy. So it's it's you know, and I think the other thing I'll say, and then we should move on to soccer on some level is the whole Mr. Rogers neighborhood analogy. I, I mean, I heard it when I got here and it's a little bit, it felt a little bit overwrought. Like everyone was like, Oh, Pittsburgh, Mr. Rogers neighborhood. And I was like, okay, you're getting hokey on me, but it's very, very true. People really embody the spirit of, of Fred Rogers. They want the community to be a warm and loving and open place. And that's remarkable. It's, it's, you know, I've been here for two months and I will, easily say Pittsburgh is like no other city I've ever been to yeah yeah and I I think yeah I mean we could have like a whole I think we could have a whole conversation a about love that. fest for Pittsburgh yes well you know it's deserved right yes and I, I yeah and I think you know um in these times of tragedy and and just you know just such sorrow and grief you know is is really when you see kind of some of this beautiful stuff that um, happens and how people care for each other and love each other and want to be there even when we don't know how, right? Like it's hard to not know how to, or it's hard to know how to like best support one another, mm -hmm. but we are trying and we're doing our best. Um, I'll give you an example. Oh, I, the, no. <laughs> day, the day it happened, I was covering a pit uh, Notre Dame soccer game because I love to see soccer no matter what, even when it's pit losing again. Um, and Laura Ellen just came out and she wanted to give me a hug and she wanted to watch some soccer and that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe that's <laughs> the best transition we're going to get. I, I mean, I truly, I wasn't going to bring it up and I think, well, I don't know if it, yeah, I mean, I don't know if, if that was more therapeutic for you or for me. I don't, I, it certainly was rainy and it was <laughs> raining and it was, you know, which very much matched how I was feeling. And then I went out to a bar afterwards and good, you know, ate some French fries. So. Um, okay, it, this scene, it's like a weird transition, right? Like there's no good, you know, maybe this is the best uh, transition to talking about soccer, but that's why we're here right now. And um, for whatever it's worth, this was planned before what happened. And, uh, and we just decided to, you know, keep, keep this date and uh, keep moving along here. Um, all right, so we're just going to switch over to soccer, and it's weird, and I don't have a good transition. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry. Uh, I wish I had something I love the honesty. to say. But Our transition really is, don't. this transition is this, weird. This transition is weird, and here we go. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned um, that you're kind of brand new to Pittsburgh. You've only been here for a couple months. So what brings you to Pittsburgh? So my, I'm what's referred to in the community as a trailing spouse. My, um, my wife is a physical therapist, and she's finishing her doctorate and um, she'll be starting a residency program next year, hopefully, um, at UPMC. And so in the meantime, she's interning at UPMC and then she's going to um, work in the community. So what am I here to do? I'm here to take care of the kids and, you know, buy the house and fix all the things in the house <laughs> and move all the things in the house and then fix all the things again. And, um, and then while I'm doing that, I'm also doing a little bit of rabbi-ing. It's not really a verb, but why not? Um, and I, I'm serving as a, a, a part-time rabbi of a tiny little congregation in Erie, Pennsylvania, just up Highway 79. So Just up. I mean, it's, what, a solid two hours. Which is shorter than my last job, where oh I was the gosh. rabbi for Steamboat Springs, and Steamboat Springs is three hours 
if you don't hit any traffic or weather. But if you go in the winter or the summer, you will either hit traffic or weather or both. And if that happens, it's a five-hour drive. And sometimes, and I'm not kidding, it has been a seven-hour drive one way. So That's very people are like, oh, my God, you're going all the way to Erie? I'm like, let me tell you a story. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, and we do uh, just wait for the winters. I mean, you're from Colorado. Thankfully, yeah. <laughs> they gave me off for, for both December 1 and January 1. Oh, so well, I don't have to go. go up till February. So just cross your fingers that we don't get one of those lake, uh, lake effect snows in yeah. February. That certainly won't happen this year. You never know. I say that in a very hopeful yet sarcastic way. Um, all right, so you came from Pittsburgh. and Came from Denver. Came, oh, yes, yes. You came to Pittsburgh from Denver. Yeah. And you were there for quite a period of time. Seven years. Okay. San Francisco for five years before that. And then before that, I was in Los Angeles, Jerusalem, New Mexico, New York, Washington, D.C., and Los Angeles. Oh, dear. So I bounce around a little bit. So taking a step back, how did you first become interested in soccer? Oh, wow. All right. Well, we'll try to do the, the, the quick wrap-up version of this story. So All right. <laughs> in 1994, the uh, World Cup came to the United States, and um, my dad uh, wanted to take me to a game. So me and my sister and my dad went to see Cameroon versus Sweden. And that was fascinating. That was my second ever soccer game uh, that I'd ever watched of professionals playing. My first ever would have been the L.A. Lasers of the major indoor soccer league, who played wow. in it was back in 1987. I know there was an indoor soccer team uh, here in Pittsburgh that was yes. a big deal. The what was the, the, the spirit? I knew it was an S name. I was yes. going to say the shock, but the, I'm pretty next, sure. Yeah, it was pretty the spirit. sure it was the spirit. Yes. So then, fast forward. I'm living in Israel as a third year rabbinical student in 2003 and, and four, which was a really bad year in Israel. There was a lot of cafe bombings and uh, pizza shop bombings. It was a, it was a bad run. And I, I took on a uh, kind of a volunteer position as I was a, a big brother for um, a kid who was uh, from a family that was a victim of trauma. And um, his sister had been involved in not one, but two bombings. Mm. She was still alive. Um, she was just really messed up. And um, so my job was to kind of get him out of the house and do fun things with him. And one time he said, do you want to go to a soccer game? We spoke only in Hebrew. I said, sure. So he took me to the, 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 the Premier League in Israel, um, you know, which is a European league. They, they, if they really get lucky and they, they win a bunch of preliminaries, they play in UEFA Champions League. So every like decade or so one Israeli team makes it in. So I went to go see the local team in Jerusalem. Um, and it was, it was, you know, it was the full experience of a European football match. It was, it was the two, it was a derby. It was Tel Aviv versus Jerusalem. The ultras in the opposite stands brought flares and trash cans and smoke bombs. And they lit up this entire (laughs) 10,000 seat section. And it looked like the gates of hell descended and it was kind of terrifying and exhilarating all at the same time and the soccer was they had to pause the game for two minutes because nobody could breathe or see anything like it was intense and it was amazing and i was like i've got to get more of this (laughs) and then fast forward again one more time to um 2013 
living in Colorado. I'm already a fan of some other sports like baseball, but I already have a team. Other sports I couldn't give a fig about, like um, throw ball and... Laura Ellen was worried I was going to swear. No, it's just, I've never heard that. Give a, give a fig. fig? Yeah, okay, it's a I'm thing. Sorry. I don't know. Um, so, <laughs> was worried. Um, uh, so, I, I had a couple other sports I didn't care about, like throw ball and hockey. And so, I get to Denver, and I don't really know how I'm going to root for or watch any sports and root for the local team. So, one day, it's Jewish community night at the Colorado Rapids. And I watched the game, and there was this one player with this ponytail and top knot, and he, the ball got on his feet, and he just was magic. He was absolutely dribbling between guys, putting spin moves on. He would lace a pass, and it would go magically through three guys and wind up in the back of the net, and that was Lee Wynn. And he was just so much fun to watch. Of course, he wasn't on the Rapids, but I was like, wow, I've got to get back into this. And um, shortly thereafter, and then I'll conclude this <laughs> long-winded remark, um, shortly thereafter, I watched, um, I, I started to read because as a rabbi and a hyper-cerebral nerd, I need to understand everything about anything that I'm into. So I started to read about the Rapids, and the only website in town was the local SB Nation Vox website called Burgundy Wave. And um, I was reading it, and you know, it's, it's uh, SB Nation, so some of the writing was good and some of it wasn't. And one day they said, hey, we're looking for new writers. And I said, well, I can write, you know, at least half as well as some of these people. So I wrote an article, they're like, great, you're hired. Um, a couple of years later they made me editor, a couple of years later I left and started with another website. And, you know, long story short, and 675 articles later, here I am. Well, and you answered my next question, which was, how did you get into writing? So, you know, something that you've done previous yeah. to moving to Pittsburgh and, you know, you have continued that, doing now in Pittsburgh is writing about soccer. Yeah, and that, that's the short answer of, like, what soccer writing is like. You know, soccer writing really simply is either um, uh, a nice hobby or the worst paid job you will ever <laughs> have, right? Like... The biggest article I ever did, um, based on like hours of work that I put into it, you know, maybe scraped fifteen dollars an hour. So like, you would probably be better off. And and by the way, I had to grind through hundreds of articles before I got that shot. Right? You would be better off working a loading dock for Amazon than you would <laughs> soccer writing. So for I always think of it as a hobby that occasionally will pay for beer. Um, but there are people at the upper echelons of it who actually almost get health insurance. So, um, or actually do grant wall. Um, so, um, but soccer writing is a lot of fun. It takes a little bit of creativity. It took a while to learn. There are a lot of, um, you know, there's, there's what I like to do, which is a tactical analytical piece, which basically just means watching soccer and writing what I see. Um, there's statistics uh, is almost a separate field. There's some people who are just good statistics writers. I learned all about that, and I can write that article. Doing an interview is a hard thing to do. Once you learn how to write an interview article, you get decent at it. Um, recaps are a beast. You know, if you if you read your local papers, sports recaps, you have no idea how hard that actually is. I mean, imagine you've watched a nil-nil draw for 87 minutes and one team scores two goals and the other team scores two goals in the final seven minutes of play, you have now rewritten your lead four times 
in seven minutes. Like it's, it can be really intense. So it's, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. Um, it's, it's been interesting to switch to the Pittsburgh market where, um, what people read and what's interesting is, is, uh, kind of a, a new and evolving thing for me. And it, and in Colorado, you know, I had this great access to this big league MLS team. You know, I went out to the training pitch on a Wednesday and I got to stand three feet away from Tim Howard and ask him questions. And the little boy inside me goes, oh my God, you're the secretary of defense, you know? And the, and the professional in me goes, I have some difficult questions to ask this guy and he's a professional and I'm a professional. Um, and that's, that's the gig. And it's a, it's a, it's a ton of fun. Um, and it's work. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I'm really interested in thinking about is kind of how, like, how do you differentiate and how do you think about your writing when it comes to soccer writing and how that is different or different or similar to how other people approach. So, right. so if you had kind of your way, you know, and you didn't have someone telling you like, this is what I want you to write. Which is how I write generally, because it's so poorly paid that you, the only thing you have in soccer writing generally is freedom. Um, unless you're terrible, at which point somebody needs to smack you and say like, <laughs> Hey dude, you got to write better and here's how you do it. Um, I'm blessed because I had an undergraduate degree in political science and a graduate degree in rabbinics and theology. Um, and one of the things you learn how to do is write a compelling sermon. And a compelling sermon is a little different than a soccer article, but not entirely. You're, you're, you're telling a story, right? You're telling a compelling story that uplifts and moves, encapsulates and explains, right? And that's, that's both giving a good sermon uh, and giving a, uh, writing a good soccer article. Um, you, you would be hard-pressed if I put my best sermons and my best articles against each other. You, except for the soccer piece, you might not tell which one is which. So that's a little bit how I approach it. Um, I, really, uh, I really want the, the reader to fall in love with what I see. So my favorite article that I ever did, I got an article published for The Athletic about Michael Azira, who's a grinder, hard-nosed... Um, defensive midfielder now for Montreal and he was my favorite player on the Rapids because he was just a nice guy he wasn't the most famous he wasn't the most glorious and writing an article about him wasn't going to get me famous and I didn't care um, he was a good story and a USL guy he came out of um, he had a, two really good seasons with the Charleston Battery and then he went on to the Sounders and then the Rapids and so he's a good story for Riverhounds fans because it means that a guy like I mean, Canardo's prob Canardo Forbes is a little old in the, uh, uh, f for this to be his opportunity, but like a guy like uh, Tommy Vankiazil can be a feature story for the Athletic somewhere down the line if the right person comes along and writes it. So, you know, that's that's the way I approach it. It's it's a story. It's interesting. What's the human side? Mm-hmm. So we've talked a little bit about this. Um, so, what are who are the teams that you follow? When Fall it comes to soccer. Yeah, I follow the Rapids still very closely. I do a podcast um, once a week with one of the other writers who covers the Rapids for a website called Last Word on Sports, Last Word on Soccer. Um, his name is Matt Pollard. He's a great guy. Um, and I cover the Riverhounds uh, for Pittsburgh Soccer Now. John Krasinski is the editor-in-chief of that wonderful website. And... There's a couple other really great writers on there. 
it's really an evolving it's it's a it's an evolving website and it's an evolving soccer marketplace here in Pittsburgh. Um, I'm trying to do a series on youth uh, youth clubs also, so we'll see how that goes. Um, it really depends on whether they respond to my emails. So that's <laughs> if you're a youth soccer head and you'd like me to contact you, just respond to your email. <laughs> Take me out of your spam folder, dude. Um, and then you know it's trying. To, it's interesting to try and figure out like what are the what are the things that are going to be. Um, what are people going to read? And I think that building a readership and, you know, bluntly, like building a greater fan base for the Riverhounds is one of those things that, I mean, John's an evangelist for the sport. He and I both love football. We love soccer. We, we think it's the greatest thing going and we want to open everybody's eyes. We want everyone to be like, look at this amazing game. Isn't this awesome? And we, we hope that we can do that through telling the stories really well. Um, it, it's it's tough though. It's it's you know it's, it's a lot of work, and you're never sure whether anyone's actually gonna whether there's gonna be more than a couple dozen people who read your article. So, yeah. so do you follow any European teams? Yes, yes. My who, who are uh, so in? You have to answer very carefully. Ah, really? Am <laughs> no, I gonna no, get in trouble? Really. <laughs> I I was I started as an Arsenal fan um, oh. way back, okay. uh, but I I kind of you know when people ask me like who do you Who's your favorite team in the English Premier League? It's kind of like, well, you know, I, I like Arsenal, but it's not like I don't live and die by them. Like, if there's a better game on, I'll watch that. So, like, um, Brighton and Hove Albion. I'm yes. not a Brighton and Hove Albion fan, but you know she's she's fishing for this. <laughs> but um, Brighton and Hove have um, uh, a pair of Israeli players, one uh, Israeli Arab, so he's uh, Palestinian uh, Muslim by birth and one Jewish and they're like this cute little inseparable pair and it's a nice story so I like I like those kinds of stories um, and I typically am just like most Americans with the EPL I'll root for I'll root for a team that has a lot of Americans on it so full America back in the day you know when they had Clint and um, and all those guys um, in the Bundesliga I follow Mainz 05 because Mainz was a town that was um, deeply Jewish back in the Middle Ages. Um, I have no team in the French League. I have a, a couple teams in the Israeli League, or my I have one big team in the Israeli League, and then I can well, I think we can move on before I move into my favorite Chinese Premier League teams. Um, really? I, I don't have any. Oh, more. okay. But in the like in the Israeli League, there's a team that is anti-racist, pro-gay, pro-Israeli Arab tolerance and understanding, and they equally promote their men's and their women's clubs and that's very rare for israel and um they're called hopol jerusalem katamon um it's also known as just katamon um so uh, black and red super fun anyhow well that's really exciting yeah uh, yes and you know very much like you know i'm not gonna like equate the two but you know brighton is very supportive of you know anyway all of also, Katamon's in the second division, so the only way I get to see them is every two or so years I get to fly to Israel. I try to make sure that I go in the winter time, and I will get on a bus or you know catch a ride to wherever they're playing. If it's an away game in the middle of nowhere, I'll catch a game there. That's exciting. It's a small country; you can kind of do right. that. Right. And yeah. if you speak Hebrew like I do, you can get around well enough. So. Well, there you go. Yeah. It's very exciting. But you're welcome to come with me, any of you Hounds fans, to Israel <laughs> for the next game. Excellent. Good. Well, we'll get a we'll get a bus together. Or we can or just go to a Hounds a game bus. together. 
Or I guess a pl- I guess you'll have to take a plane. We'll first. have to take a plane. Yes, yes buses okay. do not go over the Atlantic. <laughs> the the, the oh, Squirrel God. Hill Tunnel does not make it under the Atlantic. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so um, you know we've talked about kind of your evolving love of the game of soccer. Um, so when you came to Pittsburgh, what were some of your first observations of soccer in Pittsburgh? Well, this is going to, I hope the, the, those of you who are listening don't think I'm just sucking up, but the supporters group, uh, Steel Army for the Riverhounds is really remarkable. It is a really strong supporters group. I have been in Colorado for the last seven years um, and a Rapids fan for six of those years and the partially out of losing and partially out of the relationship between the club and the supporters group and partially out of kind of a lack of leadership and direction the supporters group for the Colorado Rapids is really weak it's it's strong in certain ways but it's really struggling in other ways it was a consolidation of four or five really small supporters groups and I don't know that they've ever figured out how to actually bridge the gaps. Um, there's some internal friction. There's some lack of leadership. And then there's some really basic stuff like they can't pop smoke and they can't use flares. And those are all like structural problems that they've dealt with. Well, they do have, they have some good things going for them. But, you know, Steel Army is really, really strong and super, super fun to be around. Um, there's a great en- energy. The capos are fantastic. Um, it's a wonderful atmosphere. Um, also, and I've heard this from people who are envious of me as a recent uh, emigre to Pittsburgh, um, the location is gorgeous. I mean, you can't be at maybe any more beautiful place than that spot by the river, uh, you know, at the point of three rivers and looking over a downtown especially when it's lit up special colors and it's really remarkable, you know, and the trains and the boats and it's, it's like, it's really kind of like, it's kind of ridiculous and magical (laughs) and like you wouldn't believe it. And I don't think Steel Army fans fully appreciate it anymore. Like a train goes by and I'm a little kid again. Like I get so oh, a train, like (laughs) I'm 42 years old guys. I shouldn't be excited about a train, but I am. Yes. It's really, really neat. Um, you know, there's there's a lot to build on. It's it's um, it's a stadium that still has growth potential. It's not. It hasn't reached what it could be. I think it's easy, and I'll leave it on this. Um, I think it's easy for uh, a fan to say, especially a USL fan, to say like, "Oh, look at what Cincinnati has. Oh, look at what Louisville City has." And it's like, Louisville City plays in a baseball stadium. Cincinnati's going to MLS next year. And we don't you know. like them. Right. It doesn't, it, it, it's, it's, <laughs> I think one of the hardest things in any, in life, this is a bit rabbinic, but it's really soccer focused, is to be happy with where you are and to be content with what you are. Colorado Rapids fans also feel that way, right? That it's the stadium seats 15,000. And people are kind of looking at Seattle and going, well, they have 47,000 people. And it's like, no, 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 just be happy with who you are. Um, Because I've said this, I say this sometimes, but like, you know, if you don't have great attendance one day, um, you as an individual fan, you can't fill 3,000 seats. You can fill one, right? You can bring a friend, whatever. You can preach the gospel, talk to other people. But like, the reality is like, you can just be the best damn fan you can be for that one day. And I think 
um, that's what hounds the hounds have. Like when it's cold, when it's rainy, and there's only five hundred or a thousand people there, it's still great. You know, there's, there's still eleven guys who they need your voice. So yeah, yeah, I yeah I, I do think that's something you know, and that's a, a good observation that you brought up that I think so often we forget kind of what we have, and especially the view and. Um, you know, the great relationship that the SEAL Army has. And, and I think the fans overall have with um, the front office and, and the relationships that have been built over time, certainly, mm-hmm. right? You know, you know that didn't happen overnight. But uh, I think that's something that we don't think about often. And, you know, when, you know, when Kevin Johnston comes by and, like, knows most of us, right? And right. says hi and gives us a big hug, right? I'll, like, that's a huge I'll give you thing. another one. I'll give you another one. A lot of USL fans really, they, they wish they were an MLS-size city. The Colorado Rapids this last week had their annual Fan Appreciation Night. On Fan Appreciation Night, 11 special fans are selected to come down out of the stands and at the end of the game, they individually get a piece of apparel signed by their one favorite Rapids player. So one fan gets one piece of apparel signed by one player. Okay? I'm saying this for those of you who are... If you're not a Hounds fan, you don't know what I'm saying. You're like, okay, that's that sounds normal. Hounds fans are laughing their butts off right now because... They throw up in the gates at the end of every home game and all the kids run onto the field and they all meet their favorite players. And you can get your jersey signed to be every member of the team literally 17 times a season. <laughs> like, you can have 17 Joe Greenspans on the back of your shirt. Joe, sign it again, right? Like, like the amount of access that fans have to their heroes, to their favorite players, is tremendous and remarkable and... I think that that's wonderful. Um, and that's not something you can get at another level. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, and, yeah, and I think those are just such good reminders and, and something that, again, I, I, I don't think we think about, right? Because it has become normal to us. And I watch all these games, MLS and USL, and the margins between the abilities of the players is not much. Um, and I've seen a bunch of players who've gone up or gone down, and everybody in USL could probably name the most spectacular players who went up. I remember the year that the Rapids played Orlando City in Open Cup when they were a USL team right before they went up. Kevin Molina was on the field, and I looked at him, and he was just running circles around guys, and I was like, that guy's really, really good. And now he's Kevin Molino, and everybody knows who he is. And their striker that year was Dom Dwyer, and he was banging him in with his head, and I'm like, that guy's really good too. And guess what? He's Dom Dwyer, right? Like, the margins are not that that big between them. Like, you know... Canardo Forbes could have had a really solid MLS career if the right pieces had come together at the right times. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I'm on Canardo today. That's yeah. he's he's my guy. Maybe he's the most uh, Francois Cheetah. He he certainly had, should have had, could have had, uh, may still have an MLS career yeah. in him if he wanted. Well, and I think in um, you know this mo- in our season wrap up for the Mongol show, you know we we went around and said like who is the player from the season that we would want to see for next season if we could pick any one player, mm-hmm. and I said Conardo Forbes because I think um, you know just the leadership that he's demonstrated on the field this season and just the way in which he moves the ball and the way in which he thinks as he moves the ball and mm-hmm. kind of is able to predict not only that next pass, but then the pass after that and where the ball needs to go. You know, for me, you know, I look at that and I'm like, that's the player I want back. Right. Uh, if, you know, if, and that's not to slight any of the other players because no, there's no. a list of like 
many of them right. that I want back. Right. And some of them that I certainly don't want back. My the only the only it's not criticism, the only comment that I'll make that was one of my favorite interviews I ever did it in an interview for American Soccer Analysis with the assistant general manager of the Rapids who he worked for Arsenal Football Club and he worked for an analytical company in um, Chicago, but he lived in Laos while he did it because he was doing he was taking massive amounts of data and the data was literally 20 people in a room clicking buttons on Premier League games about where the pass was and so on. So anyways, I asked him what were the when he's looking for players, what is he looking for? What are the what are the margins? And what he said was, you know, in the English Premier League, players are basically all perfect. They can do everything really really well. We don't have that in MLS. What we're looking for is guys who do a couple things really, really well. Um, and that's USL. USL's got a lot of guys like Canardo Forbes can pass a ball really well. He holds the ball really well. Does he have plus-plus acceleration or movement or pivoting? No, right? And his shooting is only average, which means that he's condemned forever to USL, which is not bad, but, like, that's kind of one of those things. Is like, you know, you can look for a guy who has 10 different exceptional skills at a higher level. And in USL, you're hoping a guy can do three of them really well. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, and I think that, you know, transitions really well into my next question. And so you're relatively new to the USL kind of as a league. Um, so what have been kind of your initial thoughts about, you know, as you've learned USL, yeah. what's kind of stuck out to you? John, John, the editor for Pittsburgh Soccer Now, gave me this really interesting assignment. I don't know if it was like hazing of the rookie or whether <laughs> he really thought that this was a good idea. Um, if he listens to this, he can call me later and tell me. <laughs> but he said, why don't you scout every team we play the week before we play them and tell us what you think. Um, so what that meant was I started watching... Not that I couldn't get around to watching that many Hounds games because I was too busy watching Red Bulls 2 and Charlotte Battery and uh, sorry, Charleston Battery and Charlotte uh, Independence and you know, uh, Harrisburg, whatever they're called right now. So, Harrisburg no longer exists on hiatus, right? (laughs) So, uh, Bethlehem Steel. And I I watched every team in the Eastern Conference twice. Um, So, my simple answer is. There's three kinds of teams in the USL, basically. There's these young two teams, which they can be fantastic, like Red Bulls 2, or they can be catastrophically bad, like Toronto, right? And that just has to do with whether your academy produced the right guys at the right time. And it's a total crapshoot, and next year could be totally different, because you yank three of those guys up to the big leagues, and you get a bad crop, and suddenly you're garbage again. So there's no ability for continuity with those teams. Also, nobody goes to see them. So that's that's the the young the young bucks. Um, the second group is is kind of a long in the tooth retreads, right? Um, Tampa Bay would be a great uh, example of that with Georgie Hristov, I think is how his name is pronounced, and Joe Cole. Um, you know, you got guys in their mid thirties uh, or upper thirties holding it down, and then you've got smartly constructed teams of USL never uh, sorry MLS never wors and castoffs and USL lifers and those are teams like um, the Riverhounds like Charlotte um, trying to think um, Louisville Louisville is like that too 
Um, so, you know, and those are those teams tend to do pretty well and are pretty solid. Um, and and they, they tend to hold together year to year, although it's USL, so you usually don't hang on to too many guys from year to year. Yeah. So those are my observations. Well, um, but I, the quality of play is very high, I think. Yeah, well, and I do think it's interesting, right? So, you know, for a long time... Riverhounds fans, right? We have been just like historically not great, right? Right, and have just had season after season of just, you know, we have these, you know, aspirations to, hey, like maybe, you know, let's just like make the playoffs, like let's just squeak it in, right? right? And I think, you know, this season has really been the first season that over the course of the season there wasn't really too much of a doubt that we were going to make the playoffs mm-hmm. at least in my mind i think after you know we had the the string of or or the the series of of ties kind of at the beginning of mm-hmm. the game or at the beginning of the season uh you know and and we finished with a whole lot of ties um or draws um but like throughout the season i was like pretty confident i was like okay yeah like we're going to make the playoffs there's not that's not really a doubt whereas like compared to all the other seasons and and i think i've i think we've been following the riverhound since like 2013 Mm -hmm. um so you know we i I don't know like i've just never there's never been like this expectation of oh yes i have with certainty or i know with certainty at the midpoint of the season that i'm pretty sure we're going to make the playoffs. right as an arsenal and Rapids fan, with the Rapids, the assumption was, we're going to miss the playoffs. It'll take a miracle to make the playoffs. We're going to miss the... Like, you look at the lineup at the beginning of the year and you go, this isn't a very good team. If we're lucky, sixth place. You know, like, that's weird. Uh, and with Arsenal, you pretty much just chalk up you're going to finish fourth or fifth every year. You just like, The season begins and you're like, these three teams are better than us, fourth snow. That's how it goes. So, I don't know. <laughs> and so it's nice to be a Riverhounds fan and, and walk in and, and be totally ignorant also. To walk in and be like, I have no idea what's going on in the USL. Um, I started to watch games when we knew we were moving to Pittsburgh, which was like basically February of this year. So I was ready. But like, you know, the first game I attended, John was, John Krasinski, the editor, was away on vacation. He said, hey, can you cover the game? I'm like, oh yeah, sure, it's my first game ever, and I don't know where the bathroom is, but sure, I'll be, you know, I mean, I'd covered the games in other ways, but it was it was a lot of fun, and, and uh, you know, now I feel like I could jump in, but John's an animal, John's, my, my, I, I prevaricate and overthink, and can crank out two or three decent articles a week, John will write two or three decent articles a night, I mean, he is just an animal, he's a machine, so... Um, so that's kind of fun to, to kind of step in on and, and try and take the load off him. Although he'll just write an article, you know, while he's half asleep or on the john. So. <laughs> well, there we go. Uh, yeah, well, no, and I think it is, it's been, you know, certainly an interesting experience, at least this season, right? Because I was following the Riverhounds and I was following Barcelona and like Barcelona was my team that I was just like, yes, this is my feel good team. I can watch them yes. string together these beautiful, you know, series of passes yes. and have like 99% pos- or percent possession throughout a game <laughs> and, you know, watch Xavi and Iniesta, you know, work miracles in the middle of the field. And, you can like, watch Busquets just... complete 97% of his passes. Right, exactly. It's an and obscene I could just, number. Yeah, and I could just, like, feel, like, that was my team that I would watch and feel good about myself. It's like a bunch of guys doing, uh, uh, like, magic tricks with the ball. They can will the ball to the exact spot they want it to be. It, you know, there were a it's couple seasons that, 
yeah, that were right. And so that was my team that I was like, okay, this is how I feel good. And then I would go to Riverhounds games. And I'm like, I'm here for the cheap food and the beautiful skyline, and maybe we'll squeak out a win, but probably not. Um, you know. And then this season, you know, Barcelona's, you know, they, you know, they're doing well. They're doing fine, I guess, right? right. But, but the standard for Barcelona is it's, it's a very you, high bar, right? You know, winning the Spanish League and the Copa del Rey is not a big deal for them, right? If it's, they don't win the Champions League, it was a failure, exactly, right? Um, you know, and then, and then, so, you know, they're just kind of existing as they do year to year. And then the Riverhounds are doing really well. And then I, for some reason, you know, have started following Brighton and they've been like doing really well. I think I saw today that they were the only team in October to win all of their Premier League games. Wow. Which, um, you know, their manager is receiving manager of the month for the Premier League, which is like a huge thing. And so, you know, my attentions are much more divided, I yeah. think, than, than they used to be. Um, which, speaking of the Premier League, so next season, the USL is oh, rebranding. Yeah. See what I did there? Look See, at I that. did have smooth transitions. So um, good. Uh, but, She's a pro. Uh, I don't know about that. But um, so we have this new branding, right? We have Championship, which is what USL Division 2 or like Division 2 USL right now yeah. is going to become Championship. Yeah. Then we have Division 3. The USL Division 3 is going to become League 1. And then PDL, which is our professional development league, is going to become League 2. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started talking about this on the season review show. And then I said, wait, wait. You know, I have to talk about talk with Mark about this. It's too and, much. And we yeah. were gonna. Uh, I want to have a conversation. So, what do you think about this? So, I just want to go back one step, which is like I, my only exposure to USL until now was the Colorado Rapids have a PDL team, and it's a it's a great PDL team to watch, and a lot of the PDL teams um, are interesting. The, the The Rapids have a solid academy. Colorado has two additional academies. Um, that are not affiliated with the Rapids that are very strong. One is Rush, who you'd be familiar with because they're um, they're now <laughs> I keep forgetting what they're called. What? They, I, I, Penn I, Penn FC Penn, is what they yes. so they were Penn affiliated with Penn Fifteen. Yes, yes. Um, and then another team <laughs> called uh, Real Colorado, and um, and then a bunch of kids who were um, Colorado natives um, who play somewhere else, and then also a bunch of kids who are from somewhere else but play on a Colorado college team. They play for DU or um, one of the other local schools. Um, they would spend the summer playing on the PDL team, getting ready for the college season. So I'm, I'm familiar with PDL uh, pretty well. Um, I love PDL soccer. It's, very, it's a very short season. Um, it is uh, May, June, July, and it's over. I think it's over at the end of July. I'm not even sure they make it into August. They have... A very very short playoff, and that's that, and because all the guys have got to go back to college, um, and it's not professional, uh, so nobody loses their college eligibility. So the only the only comment I have about the rebrand, I think the I think having an, a a split of two divisions is a great idea for USL. It allows a team like Rochester to come back next year because financially the it's a lot cheaper for them. It allows for some of these smaller clubs to develop and start and see how they do in a slightly lower division there's the possibility of promotion relegation which i really really like as an idea um, it's one of the best things about the world game it's difficult it'll be difficult in the u.s because a lot of this has to do with financial viability you know what if if penn fc or 
um, Nashville or any team, Austin, uh, Austin's USL team, come in and they decide to go to League One and they don't have a lot of money, but they win a lot, are they going to want to go up? Can they afford to go up? Those are interesting questions. But um, the one thing that I'm a little concerned about, um, I got to it in a roundabout way, is that the rebrand of USL PDL as League Two strikes me as odd just because it's a very different animal, right? Like those guys, they can never be promoted because if you went up a division and you were playing with professionals, you've just wrecked the college eligibility of NCAA players. And that's because of how the NCAA is structured and kind of screwed up. And that's a whole other conversation right, for another absolutely. podcast. But that's that's my only beef is that I don't know that I would have rebranded them. But I love the two, the first two divisions. Um, and I think keeping it together, uh, I think saying, hey, it's all USL is a, is a nice idea. Well, yeah. And I, and I think that that is certainly my initial reaction and kind of, um, you know, so as someone who has not followed the Premier League until this year, right? So this season is really the first season that I have actively followed kind of what is happening in the Premier League. I wasn't familiar with like the Premier League Championship, League One, League Two, as it exists in England, right? Um, and so I think for folks who are familiar with that structure, like it's certainly like the naming conventions make sense. Um, I, I do, I think part of, you know, part of my question and, and my thoughts and, and concerns, I don't know, probably isn't the right word, but come from like if folks, uh, if, if fans of U.S. soccer aren't familiar with the EPL, they're going to like see these, I just wonder if it's going to be confusing for people, right? So like, is chant, like just championship, because even as it exists in England, like I think when the Premier League was created, like I'm not sure that there was like a they're like oh it's the Premier League and what what distinguishes right. Premier from champion right right like that's that's not you know there I don't know there it's not and like gold silver I don't know bronze. if you know this but the history was that the the English uh, FA controlled all of football in England. And until 1992, and the revenues were all screwed up. And in 1992, uh, all the top clubs decided to jump and form the Premier League. Um, and so it was really meant to be a different entity, and it was completely constructed with a new structure and a new financial order. Um, and it helped English soccer to break out of where it had been in the 90s, which was, and late 80s, which was. Uh, ramshackle stadiums that were really woefully in bad shape and then hooliganism yes which... and it infused a lot of money in so that's the point where saying championship league one league two is kind of weird because there's it doesn't lead to the premier but it, you know i i think i think you hit it on the head which is i think the implication there is that for american fans who are watching the english league um they will now be able to look at the American leagues and be able to draw a one-to-one -one connection. The last thing I'll say on this is there's been a little bit of talk recently that MLS and Liga MX in Mexico are vaguely in the preliminary stages of talking about joining up and hmm. forming a joint league, which would have massive implications for USL. It would mean the USL would probably bump down a whole tier 
as MLS's weaker teams and Liga MX's weaker teams went be- went down to forming the second league. But that being said, imagine having rivalries between Pittsburgh and Oaxaca, you know, mm-hmm, Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and Guadalajara, or, you know, Guadalajara's third best team, probably, right. not Chivas. But those are some kind of crazy things that big-time world soccer fans, because you probably know this, but um, the most popular, most watched soccer matches in the United States are Mexican League soccer. Um, so there's some real synergy opportunities there. But I'm kind of I'm kind of looking way down the pipe, like 10 years from now or 20 years from now with my fingers crossed. So I think uh, what you were talking about, certainly folks should go back and listen to my conversation with Alan Wares because he talks about the history of English football and talks about how um, the leagues were created. And, and I think, right, exactly. I mean, I think that's the thing. There were certainly things that were happening in English football that prompted the creation of uh, the Premier League. And I just, I think for me, like, one of the things that is interesting is that the USL bringing these three leagues together and kind of making them into a singular package, Mm -hmm. at least to me, is this demonstration of, uh, like, validity. That, like, we are here, we are not going anywhere, that you need to take, hey, hey, American soccer, MLS is not the only show in town. And certainly... You know, the USL doesn't have a first division, but, you know, we have all these other divisions and you should and you should take us seriously. Um, so I think I think it'll be interesting to see. And I think there's a lot of really great teams that are coming in 2019 that are coming in 2020, both at uh, the division or sorry, in championship and then in League Two. So Division Two and Division wait, Championship and League One. So Division Two and Division Three. Um, that, you know, it will be interesting to see kind of what the financial liability um, is going to look like over the next, like, three years, over the next five years. Right. And are we going to see teams like, um, you know, are we going to see, you know, teams that go in the direction of, like, Rochester that are around for a while and then fade away? Or teams like, you know, Penn FC who, you know, go under new leadership and then there's, like what's happening and and we're uncertain of what they're doing in the future i mean i think that the the flexibility you get with creating league one um what used to be division three is that you have a sandbox you can play in um it means that you can say things like all right we're not gonna have a playoff we're just gonna end the season on regular season because financially it's just expensive you can do things like we're going to be extremely regional. So in a lot of countries, once you get below the third tier, in order to save money, you make them extremely regional. The German, I think, starting in the fourth division. Israel starts in the third division. Um, you know, you say, like, we're only going to play in the Rocky Mountain region. We're only going to play Western Pennsylvania and New York. You know, we're only going to play. And that gives you certain, you know, advantages that you don't have to spend as much money as you used to. And that those are those are fun things. Those are good things to, to kind of start with and say, like, you know, walk before you can run. I think one of the things that bugs me uh, in the model of American soccer is that if you have a lot of money... Um, you get to buy yourself an MLS team. And I, I think you should probably create a history and be, be required. So in, in England um, or in a lot of countries, the rules are if you, want a, if you want a team, you start at the bottom of the pyramid 
and you work your way up both in terms of spending and in terms of viability and in terms of winning, right? So um, I, I can respect that America may not believe that um, winning is required as a part of the pro rel, but like, you know, in a year or two, um, a couple new teams are going to come into MLS. Um, and like, for instance, Nashville and Cincinnati have played at the USL level. They've built their fan base. They've built a brand um, and they're moving up. There are other teams who they just want to pay, um, you know, Austin, for example, the, the new Austin team. They just want to pay a lot of money and start a soccer team at the highest level. And I, I, don't, I don't think that that's, that's great. And USL is built for that. USL is built to say, we're going to test and see whether we have a true soccer culture or whether we can build one. Yeah. Well, and I think this, you know, I think, you know, what you said there goes back to really thinking about, like, what are those stories? What are those unique stories? Um, you know, and certainly thinking about the Riverhounds history, you know, before they even came, before they even had Highmark Stadium, mm. um, you know, in the history of soccer in the, in Western Pennsylvania, in uh, the city of Pittsburgh, you know, what does that look like? And then um, certainly I think, from my own perspective, I think there's a lot of work to be done in creating a larger fan base. But I think the fans we have are fantastic. Um, and, you know, um, you know, certainly we've already talked about kind of the SEAL Army and the relationship with the you know, front office. And I think we have the foundation to continue to build. And, and, you know, and I think you're right. I think there's something to be said for having a good story, for having that foundation to then build upon. Um, you know, just, you know, I... I I don't know, maybe this is like an American of me or something, but I don't think you should just write, I, I mean, I agree with you. I don't think you should just be able to like buy whatever you want because I don't think, like that's not sustainable, right? Um, in the long term. And, you know, just because you can put something somewhere, you know, just because, oh, this is gonna sound bad, but just because Trump can like put casinos in Atlantic City doesn't mean they're there to last, right? Well, and one of the fascinating things about English soccer, a lot, one of the, one of the conversations I've had at bars with, soccer fans in America who happened to often poo-poo Major League Soccer or USL as just too low level for them. And they think English Premier League is the greatest. One of the ironies of the English Premier League is as money has crept into the league at the high, high ends, fans have been, true fans, have been priced out. And the only people who can afford season tickets for Arsenal are so wealthy that they also ironically don't feel like they need to stand and yell for the team because they paid so much money. Why should they make themselves go hoarse in the throat? And Man City is a great example of that and more so. Not that they're not a spectacular football club, but their fan base is kind of new to the sport and it's very expensive and they don't yell like they used to. Supporter sections for those very expensive um, EPL teams is not the same. So you lose something when your quality of play gets that big or your ticket prices get that high, which is interesting. So you've got, you've, you, you, want, you want soccer to be authentic and to come from the fans and to stay with the fans. If it outgrows the fans, if you buy a $4 billion <laughs> stadium with Qatari money, um, you may leave your fans behind. And the same thing happens at the, at the Major League Soccer level, potentially. Um, hasn't happened yet. I mean, Atlanta really 
nailed it. They hit mm-hmm. it out of the park, and it was spectacular. And Seattle too. So you know, we'll we'll see, and we'll see who comes in next year. You know, next year Memphis comes in. Um, mm-hmm. Nashville's got one more year under their belt. Yeah, um, Birmingham. Which will be fun. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of really interesting yeah. things will happen, and you know, we'll see where the players go. Also, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And if whether these teams spend money on players, which would also be nice. It would nice. This is a totally separate topic for maybe a whole other podcast. Also, <laughs> but it would nice. It would be nice to see USL start to raise the standard of player pay because it's it's low right now, and it it, it should be higher. It, I mean, these guys should be able to make a good a good solid salary. I know that they're. They're, they they knew what they signed up for, and you know I'm not expecting them to become millionaires overnight. But like you know we'll we'll get there a little bit a little bit more next year. Yeah, which is also something just for the record that I mentioned on our recap show. You know, and, and I See? wholeheartedly I wholeheartedly agree with you. Which that certainly is we we can have certainly have a whole other conversation about that. Um, we've talked about a lot. Everything today. we've we covered have, it all. We never need to do a podcast again. It. Right. Certainly, no more podcasts ever need to be had about uh, <laughs> the definitive the final last podcast on soccer done. in history. Um, mic drop. Um, all right. So thank you so much again for coming. Great. Um, where can people find you on the interwebs? So I'm uh, uh, concluding my run with uh, our website, which is called Around MLS, and I'm a free agent in terms of my Major League Soccer writing. I don't know where I'm going to end up. Um, I've done some freelance work in the past. I may do more of that. Um, I may take a little break. We'll see. Um, Pittsburgh Soccer Now is where I write here in Pittsburgh on USL, uh, youth soccer. I do a little college soccer. I'm hoping to pick up some high school soccer at some point. So um, that's what I what I do, and then um, I podcast at um, Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. You can find that wherever you catch your podcast, um, and uh, we talk mostly about uh, Colorado Rapids soccer. So if you're if you're interested in picking up an MLS team that has no hope of ever being good. <laughs> The Colorado Rapids is a team for you. Do you like suffering? Well, then I've got a soccer team for you. Yeah. So that's a little bit, that's that's pretty much me. And then uh, if you're really bored and in a theological bent, you can um, pick, pick up some of my writings and, and some of the other things that I, I've, I do by going to my website, RabbiMarkAsherGoodman.com. Yes. And what about your Twitter? Twitter is where I really talk. <laughs> And I share lots of inappropriate opinions. I am at soccer underscore rabbi uh, on Twitter. Yes. The only soccer rabbi that I know. Yeah, well, that's a longer story that I won't. But I got that handle because another guy who is not a rabbi but is actually an assistant coach in USL, he used to have that handle. Oh, no. His assistant coach, Jonathan Perlman, is the assistant coach for the Oklahoma City Energy. And he used to be soccer rabbi. When he gave it up, I jumped on it. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Mark, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Well, there you have it. Thanks, as always, to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves. Thanks also to our network of podcasts, the Beautiful Game Network. Reach out to us on Twitter, WoMongols or Mongols, and let us know what you think. Until we talk again, hasta luego.